This is a reading from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. By the time the events in this morning's gospel take place, Jesus has already been baptized in the River Jordan. And although we don't hear the whole story until Lent, he has already spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. The text says that a report had spread about Jesus, and we can guess that it must have been favorable because he was welcomed into the synagogues to teach, and he was praised. In this text, Luke presents Jesus as a Torah-abiding Jew whose custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and, he, and Luke gives us his first recorded sermon. He is in the synagogue where, as a boy, he would have heard the rabbis teach and where he himself would have learned the word of God. When children in my congregation come forward to learn about Holy Communion, one of the first things we do is walk up into the chancel space. It's a space that is set apart from the rest of the sanctuary, and it appears to hold mystery for them. So I invite them to climb the steps up into the, altar, up into the pulpit, and in our congregation, you can walk behind the altar, so I invite them to go behind the altar to help them see that while there is mystery here, it is the mystery that comes with God's promises and is not the mystery of the people who are in these spaces. I can imagine that even though Jesus had taught other places, by the time he entered that synagogue, 
the same place where his own faith had been formed and nurtured, he would have felt some of that same awe as he stood up to read. Scholars tell us that in the order of service in the synagogue, they would have likely begun with a reading of the Shema and the prayers, and then a reading from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then Jesus would have read this reading from the prophets. And then there would have been a time of discussion and teaching before the service concluded. So while Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, he had the freedom to choose which part he read. And like any preacher, he was probably wondering whether the people needed to hear words of hope, like those that we heard during Advent when the the prophet promised that a little child would lead them, or whether the people needed to hear words of comfort, as when the prophet offered consolation to the people of Judah. When Jesus opens his mouth to read, he chooses these verses from chapters 58 and 61, offering both words of challenge and words of promise. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus invokes the idea from Leviticus 25 of a restorative practice of jubilee. A practice that recognized the ways that over time the world gets out of order and corruption outweighs justice. And while we don't know the extent to which Jubilee was practiced, the idea was that every 50 years families were reunited, property was returned to its original owners, and slaves and their children were freed. It was a divine image of reconciliation for God's people. When Jesus finishes his reading, he sits down to teach and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, just as the angels said to the shepherds tending their flocks, Today, your Savior is born. Just as Jesus tells the tax collector, Zacchaeus, when he visits him, today, salvation has come to your household. And just as he tells the criminal being crucified beside him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, God is here. God's promises aren't for some vague and distant future. God is here with us now in our lifetimes. And God's kingdom is here on earth. And it is realized in our hearing. That's why we can hear Jesus' words as words of promise. But of course, they are also words of challenge. Because we have to acknowledge that we live in a world where there are prisoners to release. There are ways that we are blind and we need to have our eyes opened. And there are oppressed people yearning for freedom. 
Paul's words to the church in Corinth echo the ones that Jesus spoke. Paul writes in his letter, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member rejoices, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul's letters are always written in response to something he knows is happening in the local church. And in this letter, he admonishes the church that we rise and fall together. There cannot be an us and a them in the body of Christ. So when Jesus speaks of the captive, the blind, and the oppressed, we cannot hear that as though he's speaking about people someplace else who aren't in our lives. Truly, I tell you, we don't have to look very far to find people who are suffering in the ways that Jesus names. There are full-time workers who make a minimum wage, who are imprisoned in poverty. They cannot pay for basic food and shelter because the minimum wage is not a living wage. There is blindness that we suffer when our experiences in education shape our worldview one way, but we cannot see someone else's perspective. And there is in every one of us the oppression and brokenness of sin that turns us in on ourselves and away from God. When we see how we are broken, we can join with the psalmist crying out to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And it is in that moment that God's words of promise return to us in Jesus' proclamation. You do not have to wait any longer. Today, I am here. The way verse 21 is written in the Greek, another way to hear it is this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled and is continuing to be fulfilled in your hearing. In this sermon, Jesus teaches us that having received God's grace, we are set free to practice our faith in our words and actions, to participate in God's kingdom, here and now. The fulfillment of God's favor or grace on the world can be seen all around us. We heard some of the examples in the sharing of joys and concerns earlier. It can be seen all around us if we would just open our eyes and open our hearts. It is seen when one person provides transportation to someone who cannot drive any longer. Or when you call the person who usually sits in the pew in front of you, but you haven't seen recently. It is seen in the volunteers who make children's church and children's choirs possible, helping shape the faith of our children through song, it is seen when we reach out into our community and recognize and respond 
to the needs around us, and it is seen in the work of our denominations. But we must not limit or restrict the fulfillment of God's grace in the world to what the expressions of the church that we know are doing. Because the body of Christ is not whole until we come together with all of our brothers and sisters united in our faith. The fulfillment of God's grace is seen in our joint witness and commitment. The kind of unity that our two congregations are lifting up this morning in the pulpit exchange. The kind of unity that fosters partnership in the world for the sake of the world. Let us pray. Liberating God. We give you thanks for your son, Jesus, and the gift of salvation he gives us here and now. Release us from captivity, restore our sight, and set us free from the oppression of sin. By your Holy Spirit, make us witnesses to your love and mercy, celebrating the uniqueness of gifts you give to each one of us. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.